Amen. Well, we have a, <clears throat> a God who is majestic and, and, and fascinating and, and captivating, a God who's glorious in, in every way. Amen. Amen. A God who's worthy of our praise and worship so that we could come into this place and sing out, man, with all that I am, I long to see you. What a, what a privilege to be able to come into this place and, and gaze upon the character of our God and be changed into his image. Amen. Well, we're going to continue to worship here this morning as we dive into the word and see what God has to say to us this morning. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that, get that open to Luke chapter 15. We're in this moment in Jesus's ministry uh, where uh, it says that the, 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 the tax collectors and the sinners are all, are all uh, coming near to Jesus. They're all, they're, all, they're all gathering around Jesus, right? These are the, these are the, the, the outcasts, the lost, the, the socially deviant, the morally unacceptable. All these people are drawing near to Jesus, right? These are the adulterers, the prostitutes, the liars, the thieves, the addicts. They're all drawing near to Jesus to see what he has to say. Uh, and, and the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, right? The moral, the moral authority of the day are watching all of this happen uh, and, and they start to scoff and chirp among themselves saying, man, this, this guy, Jesus, he, he eats with, with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus, right, like just acknowledging the venom and the animosity that's dripping from their mouths answers them and tells them these, these four stories meant to show them what it looks like to uh, seek and save the lost. Four stories that illustrate for them and ultimately for us the ways in which every single person on the planet, Pharisees included, is lost, and so he describes in these four stories what we're calling four types of lostness. And if you were here the last couple of weeks, you know we, we've taken a look at the first three types of lostness. And so let me recap those real quick. The first is those who drift away. He tells a story of, a, of the lost sheep who wanders away. And that's, that's those of us who nibble away at a life without God. Those of us who in the, the small and mundane moments of life uh, find ourselves uh, day after day through a thousand different decisions, either leading ourselves away from God or towards him. When we, when we lead our, ourselves away from him, that's those of us who drift away. We drift away due to lack of personal discipline and pursuit of holiness. And then he tells uh, uh, the story of the second type of lostness, those who fall away. This is those of us who like the lost coin find themselves lost through carelessness. This is those of us who plan to fail and so we fail or we fail to plan and so we plan to fail, right? This is those of us who uh, fail to plan to follow God and then find ourselves in bad situations or bad relationships that we can't get out of. We find ourselves lost through carelessness. And then there are those who run away, those who like the younger son in the story of the two sons intentionally and willfully chooses to run away from God after his own selfish pursuits. 
That's those of us who think that we have a better plan for our lives than God does. And oftentimes, as we saw last week, it takes us hitting rock bottom before we can look up and realize that life in Christ is so much better than any life that we could choose for ourselves. And then this morning, we're gonna take a look at the last type of lostness, and that's those whose hearts are astray. Those whose hearts are astray. Those of us who, like the older son, think that we're close to God, but our hearts are actually far from him. I think it's important to acknowledge right off the bat that every single one of us struggles with every single one of those types of lostness, right? There's no, uh, I think I'm more like the lost sheep or I think I'm like the younger brother or this or that. No, 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 this isn't a multiple choice question. This is a check all that apply and they all apply, right? Like at some point in our lives, we're all of those. Like I can think of, of moments in my life where, where I've drifted away from God, like, like because of lack of discipline and, 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 and lack of a pursuit of holiness. I, I can think of moments in my life where I fell away from God, right? Like, like I wasn't in prayer and I wasn't seeking wise counsel. And so I find myself in situations and uh, relationships that I should not have been in. I can think of times in my life where I've run away from God, willfully and intentionally choosing to pursue a life of sin uh, and leave God behind. And I can think of moments in my life where my heart was astray, right? Where I thought I was nailing it for God. But, but I wasn't, right? I was, I was selfish and self-righteous, arrogant, proud. And so uh, I think it's important for us to remember that all of us can find ourselves lost in any of these ways if we're not careful. These four types of lostness are meant to show us the ways in which we go astray so that we can be on guard against it. And it's to help us understand how people get lost so that we can go find the lost and save them from their life of lostness. So this morning, we're gonna take a look at the story of the older brother as we try to unpack this final type of lostness, what I'm calling lost in heart. Lost in heart. This, this final type of lostness is one of, if not the most dangerous type of lostness simply because we can't see it. We can't see that it's happening to us. Right? There's, no, there's no looking up and finding ourselves adrift. There's no looking around and finding ourselves in a bad way. There's no acknowledging our own willful pursuit of sin. No, with this kind of lostness, like I just said, we think we're nailing it. We think we're nailing it in our relationship with God. We think we're nailing it in our marriage. We think we're nailing it in our relationships with our, our friends and with our kids. We just think we're nailing it. Right, right, And because we think we are, we can't even see the scorched earth destruction that is our own hearts before God. This is a dangerous type of lostness. It's what makes this kind of lostness so terrifying, what makes this message here this morning so important. This is a message for church, for the church people. This is a message for church people. And listen, this is, this is a heavy sermon. I'm just gonna tell you right off the bat, this is, this is, this is heavy. It's, it's hard to hear. It's meant to challenge us. It's not as inspiring as I wish that it would be. Uh, but but, but it's, a, it's a message that we need to hear. And listen, I'm not preaching this message to beat you up or make you feel bad. 
All right, let me just get that out of the way, right? Like I'm, I'm not preaching this message to make you feel better. I'm preaching you to you this message because I love you. But I, I lo- like I'm going to war for your hearts here this morning, right? I, 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 I'm, I'm going, I, I'm, man, I'm for you, all right? I, I, I'm standing on the watchtower and I'm ringing the bell because I can see the enemy coming and I know how insidious he is. I know how he can creep into our hearts and whisper lies in order to lead us astray. And I'm here to fight for your heart. I'm here to fight for your soul. I'm here to give you the tools that you need to combat the enemy so you can have a life of freedom. Like what kind of shepherd would I be if I didn't do that? What kind of, what kind of pastor would I be if I wasn't willing to stand up here and preach the hard messages sometimes? This is, this, this is for you. It's for you. I'm for you. I'm in your corner. All right, and I love you too much, and I'm too afraid of God not to preach this message, all right? So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to expose the problem of our hearts. I want to present a solution to you in Christ, and then I want to invite you into life abundant, all right? So that's where we're going this morning. That's my outline with your Bibles open, Luke chapter 15. Let's go ahead and read the whole parable of the two sons, starting in verse 11. All right. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the older of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country And he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he arose and he came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and bring a ring and put it on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now here's our passage for this morning. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older son was angry and he refused to go in the house. And his father came out and pleaded with him and he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. 
when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to the son, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, God, we're so thankful for this story. God, we're thankful, Lord, that you choose to teach us and lead us through your word like this. And God, I just pray for clarity. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd set our hearts free from, from the lostness that is so, uh, so easy for us, God. I pray that you be glorified and lifted high in the sermon. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the first thing that Jesus wants to remind us of or wants to teach us is this. Just because we're in the right place does not mean that we have the right heart. Just because we're in the right place does not mean that we have the right heart. This is clear from this passage with this, this older son, right? He's in the right place. He's in his father's house. He's working his father's field. He's building his father's kingdom. He's surrounded by his father's people. He was in the right place. But it's also clear from this passage that there's something deeply wrong with his heart. Even though he was in his father's house and surrounded by his father's people and working his father's fields, there's something very different from him and his father. He didn't know his father's heart. See, everything about the older son looks great externally. We can even read this passage and feel as though the older son was justified in his anger towards the father, right? He didn't drift away. He didn't fall away. He didn't blow his inheritance on reckless living. He's been right where he's supposed to be doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing. Why didn't he get celebrated? Maybe you're looking at this and you're thinking, man, I'd be angry too if I was this guy. But just because you're in the right place does not mean that you have the right heart. This is the story of my life, right? In the right place with the wrong heart. I, I, when I was like nine months old, my mom gave her life to Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, and so from my earliest memories, I was, I was raised in the church. And listen to me, I am thankful for that. That is a good thing, right? I, I am thankful for my testimony being raised in the church, surrounded by the people of God, learning about almighty God. I'm thankful for that. Right? Like I would have made some terrible decisions in my life if it wasn't for me growing up in the church. Like I'm thankful for that. And if that's your testimony here this morning, don't be ashamed of that. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. However, just because I was in the right place does not mean that I had the right heart. There were seasons in my life where where I was in the church surrounded by uh, the people of God and I was only there to be recognized as a child of God. I wasn't there because I loved God. I wanted to be looked at and thought, man, that's, that's what a good Christian looks like. That I was seeking approval of men. I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about God. Right? I was in the right place, but I had the wrong heart. 
was in the right place for all the wrong reasons. And listen to me, look at me. That is a terrifying place to be. That's a, that's a terrifying place to be. You're, you're completely lost and nobody even knows it. Completely lost. And everyone's looking at you like, man, you're, he, that guy's nailing it. Completely lost. And it's like, hey, Justin's a good Christian. Maybe he should, you know, work with the youth. No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't want that. So what makes this kind of lostness so heinous and destructive? It's deceptive. It's hard to see in our own lives. It's hard to see in the lives of others because there's no external markers to tell us that we're drifting away or falling away. There's no external markers. It's, it's what the apostle Paul calls an appearance of godliness. He says this, 2 Timothy chapter 3 but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. He says, avoid such people. What's absolutely stunning about that list is that you can be all of those things and still have an appearance of godliness. To, to, to the world around you, you're nailing it. That, that's, that is terrifying. Just like the older son, you can be in the right place and have a desperately lost heart just going through the motion. Paul goes on to say that these people are always learning, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. He says that they are corrupted in their minds. And so just because you're here today, just because you come to church on a regular basis, just because you serve, just because you're in a community group, just because you read your Bible does not mean that your heart is right before God. And so we have to address the problem of our hearts. That's what the older son needed. He needed the problem of his heart addressed. And so what is that? The problem of our hearts is idolatry. The problem of our hearts is idolatry. Here he is, he's in the right place. He's out in his father's field. He's, he, he lives in his father's house. He's surrounded by his father's people. But when his, old, when his younger brother comes back, it says in verse 28 that he was angry and he refused to go in. And so his father came out and pleaded with him and he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you, you killed the fattened calf for him. In the right place with the wrong heart. You can almost hear the older son saying of his father, this man eats with sinners. How did he get here? How did he get into this place? He lived in his father's house. Surely they're like having coffee or something, right? Like he, I'm sure he knew his father's heart. How, how did he get here? 
how did he become so different from his father? What was the problem? The problem is idolatry. You see, something had captured his heart and led it astray. Something had become more important, more valuable in his eyes than his father or his brother. Something had become his functional God, his idol. Pastor and biblical counselor, Bad Bigney, defines idolatry this way in his book, Gospel Trees. And it's a fantastic book. If you're a reader, I highly recommend this book, Gospel Trees. And here's what he says. An idol is anything that captures our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. An idol is anything that captures our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. Pastor Tim Keller and biblical counselor David Pallison build on that definition of idolatry uh, by, by explaining four root idols that drive our sinful thinking and behavior. Four root idols, here they are. Power, control, comfort, and approval. Power, control, Comfort and approval, power, it's a desire for influence and recognition. Control, a desire to have everything go according to my plan. Comfort, a desire for pleasure. Approval, a desire to be accepted or wanted. Our sinful behavior stems from one of those things. It's clear from this parable that the older son's idolatry was power and approval. He desired to be recognized as the obedient son. That's what he wanted more than anything else was to be recognized as the obedient son and given a party with not even like a fattened calf. He says, just give me the goat, right? He wanted to be recognized as the obedient son and for this obedience to give him the influence and the acceptance that he so desperately desired. He was in the right place, but his heart was led astray by wicked idolatry. And that idolatry turned his eyes inward, self-focused, and, and, and caused him to be self-righteous. He's angry because he didn't get the recognition that he thought he deserved. He's bitter and divisive, refusing to join the celebration because it's not about him. He's jealous because he wasn't given the party that he thought he deserved. We see this all throughout scripture, right? This isn't a new concept, right? We see this all throughout scripture. Cain and Abel, Cain's idol was power and approval. He wanted to be recognized as the good son, just like this guy in this story. And when Abel got the recognition that he thought he deserved, he murdered him for it. Jacob and Esau, Esau's idol was comfort. He wanted a bowl of soup, no matter the cost, and he sold his birthright for it. Jacob's idol was power. He desired to steal influence from his older brother. Those two boys' idolatry led them and pitted them against each other. Saul and David, when Saul heard that David had become more famous than himself, he sought to kill David. Why? because power and approval, fame had become his God, his functional God, his idol. Listen, I could go on and on and on and on and on with stories from the Bible and all of our lives that illustrate this. Let 
David Paulison, one of the guys I mentioned earlier, said idolatry is by far the most frequently discussed problem in the scriptures. He, he, he goes on to say that, 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 that massive chunks of scripture hang on our understanding of idolatry. Jesus' brother James understood this. He wrote this in James chapter four. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, your idols are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, and so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, and so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your idols. What is it that causes fights in your relationship? What is it that's destroying your marriage? What is it that causes nations to rage against each other? It's idolatry. It's idolatry. You want, but you you can't have. We want power. We want control. We want comfort. We want approval. The problem of the older brother and ultimately the problem of our hearts is idolatry. It's how, it's idolatry. That's how we can be in the right place, doing the right things and still have the wrong heart. This is so critically important for us to understand. Like we have to grasp our minds around this, this kind of lostness. Right, that your problem is not that you're an angry person. Your problem is that you want, want power. You want, you want to control things. Your problem is not anxiety. It's you want to control your life. Your problem is not that you have an addictive personality. Your, your problem is that you want control and approval and power and comfort. Right, that's the problem. The greatest problem is idolatry. It's not your circumstances. It's not your situations. It's not your relationships. It's not that your mind has caught a disease. It's not that uh, 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 you have an addictive personality. Your problem, according to the word of God, is idolatry. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Yet we're, we're manufacturing counterfeit gods on the daily. John Calvin said that every single one of us is uh, from his mother's womb, a master craftsman of idols. It's our problem. It's what leads our hearts astray. Man, if we could just uproot and expose the idols that are so embedded in our hearts, ingrained in our hearts. Man, the freedom that's available to you in Christ, the the freedom that you could have in Jesus, the freedom that you could walk in, right? Like Like my God, like if God doesn't have the power to give you freedom, if he, if he does not have the power to, to, to change hearts and free minds, then why am I up here preaching? Why are you in those seats listening to a message about a God who has no power? I'm No, no, I'm up here to preach to you the power of the living God so that you could encounter the living God, the God who stepped off of his eternal throne and onto that cross so that you could have freedom. (laughs) 
he did not go to that cross so that you could manage your anger. He didn't go to that cross so you could manage your addiction to pornography. He didn't go to that cross so you could manage your anxiety. He didn't go to that cross so you could manage your addiction. He went to that cross to give you the freedom that's available in life with him. Idolatry is a lostness that so easily carries us away from God. It hides itself underneath our good works and faithful church attendance. It surrounds itself with the people of God, oftentimes in the house of God, claims to be for the glory of God. And if we're not careful, if we're not persistent, if we're not on guard, this type of idolatry will capture your hearts unnoticed. It'll set itself up on the throne of your heart and drag you away from the living God. And listen, I told you once, I'm telling you again, I, I, I'm not preaching this to you to beat you up or beat you down. I'm preaching this so you can have freedom. Idolatry is the problem of our hearts, but here's the good news. I know you all been waiting for the good news. I told you it was gonna get heavy and then it was gonna get awesome, all right? So here's the good news. The good news is this. There is a solution to this idolatry and it's found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. Look at what he says in this passage, right? His father goes out, he pleads with him. And then in verse 31, it says, he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. I love this. I love how the father goes out and pleads with the older son. This just goes to show us that even in, in this kind of lostness, God's pursuing us to bring our lost hearts back to him, to show us a better way. And that way is Jesus. It's a, it's a contentment with all that's available to us in him. How do we combat our overwhelming desire for power, for control, for comfort, for approval? It's by finding those things in Jesus. He's given us all of that in Jesus. He's saying, son, daughter, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. He says, you want power? Let me give you my Holy Spirit so you can have the power to change the world, to build my kingdom, to free hearts, to free souls. You want power? There's no power greater than that power. He says, you want control? Let me give you the spirit of God, of the spirit of all control, placing it inside of you. 2 Timothy 1, 7, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Man, if we just lived that. You want comfort? He says, I'm the source of all comfort. I'm here to comfort you in every trial so that you can know how to comfort everybody else in their trials. He says this, 2 Corinthians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He says, you want approval? I'm gonna send my only son to die for you on that cross so that you could live with me for all eternity. There's no greater approval than that. Why are you seeking it from, from the horizontal, from other people? Like, like he's already approved you. 
Titus 3, 7 says we've been justified by his grace so that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. All that our hearts long for is available to us in Jesus. Our problem is we just, we think it's not enough. And so we create counterfeit gods that lead our hearts astray. The older son was lost, not because he was in the wrong place or because he was doing the wrong things or he was surrounded by the wrong people because he was trying to work for his father's love and approval and recognition instead of finding those things in a relationship with him. And likewise, our our righteousness does not come from following the rules, but by our relationship with and closeness to Jesus. You'll never be righteous by doing the right things. That's not the point of it. Going to church on a regular basis isn't gonna make you right before God. Reading your Bible isn't gonna make you right before God. Serving in church isn't gonna make you right before God. Being in a community group isn't gonna make you right before God. And if you think that it will, then you are gonna be highly disappointed on that day when you stand before God and he says, why should I let you in? And you say, because I did this, 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 this. Here's the list. And he says, I don't know you. If you are doing these things in order to become righteous or to gain approval with God, you're gonna be disappointed, man. Listen, those works are important. They are important. They should be done because we love God, but not because we're trying to get something or earn something from him. We go to the field with joy, not not with an expectation of earning something from him. See, that was the older son's mistake. The solution to our hearts is found in a relationship with Jesus. Listen, this story ends with what I see as an amazing invitation into kingdom life. He says to the older son, hey, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. See, if you and I would just put away our idols, if we would pursue Life in, in, in Jesus instead. The invitation for us is eternal life. He wants to invite us in and celebrate. When we repent of our idolatry and submit and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the invitation is a celebration of life. We were lost, now we're found. We were dead in our idolatry, now we're alive in Christ. And the father's saying to the older son, hey, it was fitting to celebrate your brother because he repented and he came back and he's pursuing relationship with me. He's saying, it's not fitting to to, to celebrate you because you're still lost. But if you would just turn and pursue a relationship with me, I'll give you new life. We'll, We'll celebrate, we'll throw a party. Give you that goat you always wanted. <laughs> well, he wants to extend this invitation to you and me. He's after our hearts. He's not just after our behavior. He wants to give us new life. Well, Jesus doesn't tell us how the story ends. He doesn't tell us if 
the older son repented. Doesn't tell us if the older son pursued a renewed relationship with his father. It doesn't tell us what happened. I think that's a good thing. I think there's a reason for that. And that's this, it's an open-ended challenge for you and for me. It's an open-ended challenge for, for you and for me. And so, so here's what I wanna do as, I, as we wrap up our time here this morning. I wanna give you a question to work through this week. I want you to ask yourself, what's your why? What is your why? Why, why are you here? Why do you show up to church on Sundays? Why do you serve? Why do you read your Bible? Why, why are you involved in community here? What's your why? Is it because you, you love God and you just wanna worship him? Or do you think that those things are going to um, make you right before God? You trying to get something from him? What's your why? Why are you here? Why are you here? Well, my prayer for every single one of us in this room this morning is that we could answer that question this week. I just, I just so want the freedom that's available to you in Christ. I so want you to walk in the life and the power of the gospel. It's available to you. It's yours. If you need prayer this morning, we're gonna have people underneath either side of the stage who would love to pray with you. Hope you'll take advantage of that. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, God, we're just so thankful. God, you don't leave us where we're at. God, you give us great power, great freedom, great comfort, great control, great approval in you. It's all found in you, God. I'm thankful for that. God, I pray, Lord, for the hearts of everyone in this room this morning. God, I pray, Spirit of God, that you'd fall on them, God. Change them, God, that they might walk out of this place different than when they walked in this morning. God, for your glory and for honor, your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.